What is your intention? Is your intention to just like get them to be so interested in what you're doing and buy right away? Like, are you just trying to like get to a sale um, or get to some type of like great outcome for yourself? Or is your intention to actually have a conversation and connect with them and deepen the relationship from the beginning so that that just becomes the obvious choice if there is something you can solve for them? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and we're going to have a good one today, folks. We're doing pork belly burnt ends. Look at this. I got a whole, I got two trays. It's football season, finally. We're watching football at my house tonight, so I'm making way too much food. Uh, and we're joined by Talia Jacqueline, uh, a communication expert, the CEO of Visceral, uh, TED Talker. Is that a thing? TED Talker? You're a I TED guess. Talker? I mean, I guess so. it's TEDx. I got to demote myself a little oh, bit. Oh, come not on. Ted. Still TED. <laughs> it's still it's still not Ted. like, it's not FredX. It's TEDx. It's <laughs> exactly. still there. Talia talks a ton about communication and I love your perspective on it. And so as we get this on the grill, um, uh, you're actually calling in from Texas. So this this yes. podcast has probably got to feel like a home game for you. It right? does. I, felt, I thought you guys were based here because of the name and the concept. Yes. So, yes. I don't think anyone said anything nicer to me than mistaking me for a Texas barbecue podcast. Um, <laughs> we are actually barbecuing early in the morning uh, because we... Burnt ends take a long time. I'm going to kind of really do them slow this time. So I've got these. Um, these are pork belly pieces that I've cubed up, frankly, in probably two big cubes. But uh, <laughs> we've got them on a, on a little tray here that we could just move them easily. Covered them in my favorite pecan sugar rub, which is one of my favorite things. Um, and we're going to do them at 250 for really an indeterminate amount of time until they start to get like probe tender. Um, then we're going to take them off. We're going to put them in a tray, coat them with some barbecue, and then we're going to candy them up, and they're going to be delicious, and we're going to watch football tonight, which I am fired up about. So, Talia, let's talk communication. You are, um, you have a really unique perspective on the way that businesses should communicate, mm -hmm. and so I want to dive right into something that you said during your TED Talk, um, which was, you know, you talked about ditching the pitch, Right. Yes. And uh, getting away from the kitschy, what's your why and all that other stuff. What do you think is the better way to communicate what you or your business does? Yeah, I mean, gosh, this is such a big question because I think it's something that so many people struggle with, whether you're a business owner, or you're a professional in any in any in any field. Um, so really at the core of it, it's. First, what not to do. So in my very strong opinion, understanding a lot of business psychology, like most people share their titles or a label and they immediately put themselves in a box. Um, you tell people you're a insurance agent or you're an attorney or you do, you're in the financial advising or services industry and you immediately get like pigeonholed and put in a box of everyone that they've ever met that sounds remotely like you. And so at the core of it, it's actually not obsessing over the words that you use to describe what you do and making sure that you punch that answer with the right emotion. And it becomes this conversation starter. Um, and in the talk, I talk a lot about the emotion of anger, which a lot of us don't realize is so powerful in business. Um, and so that we can unpack yeah. that if we want to, but um, I think that when you lead with a really strong emotion 
And it's funny because I really think that, Jared, we all know that we have to use emotions in business. We we are that message is like regurgitated and and, and sure. like drilled into us, but I don't know if a lot of people show you how to. And so that was something that I really wanted to make a a really key part of of what we do. So you said anger. I mean, so does it go like uh hey, I'm Talia. Hey, I'm Jared. And Talia says, "Well, what are you doing?" I said, "Let me tell you something. I'm pissed off." That's what I do. And I stay pissed. I'm pissed off. People don't barbecue enough. People don't but people are out here grilling <laughs> vegetables. No, but I I mean I've I've so I've heard some of your examples before and you talk about emotion and it, it Anger is an emotion. And what was so cool about the things that I've heard you talk about is this is actually, you know, I think I try to think of myself as somebody who likes communication and and tries to get good at it. But the question that you talk a lot about when someone asks me what I do, like Mm -hmm. last week I was at church and I met somebody new, nice guy. And he said, what do you do? I never know how to answer that question because I, I don't, I just don't, it's no answer is just hits the mark where especially if you're not trying to get into a huge like the guy's just asking because he's just wanting to know what end of the spectrum i own am i am i digging ditches am i putting rockets in space like where am i at (laughs) right and so yeah yeah yeah, i I don't know i build i i've run a couple businesses i do i pop oh you're you know i just never know where to go with it yeah i well i think what's really interesting is uh i think that most people don't answer in a very conversational way. Like all of a sudden, when you get asked that question, you either go into like the bit, you put the business hat on and you give them like your elevator pitch, which is the whole <laughs> right. point of ditch the pitch. And then they're like, okay, thank you for letting me know. And they move on. Right. Um, instead of making it like a conversation starter. So think about how we actually converse casually. When, as we're talking, I just said it. I was like, so think about how we converse casually. When someone asks you what you do, I feel like it's so ingrained to just immediately jump into the pitch or not feel like you know how to squeeze in all of the value that you bring to the world in like two sentences. And there's this immediate pressure that gets built of like, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to say it and I don't know if that's enough. But really, if we can make it more conversational and somebody asks you, hey, Jared, what do you do? And you go, so, you know how there are a lot of podcasts out there (laughs) and, and, you know, a lot of them are real good at like, teaching you things, it's informational, it's a lot of audio, whatever. But no one's doing, you know, something that also engages you visually. So we we grill barbecue while we talk business. I love it. Let's let's hey Alex record that. We're gonna put that on that's the, super like we're gonna improv. put that on the teaser. No. That's I, improvised on the spot. I don't even think that that's that good. No, it's but it's, point, it's true. I think you're yeah. you're getting to the point of like we and you didn't just do the and I love Simon Sinek by the way. But I think anytime somebody like him really catches on in uh in sort of pop culture people do try instead of taking the the spirit of what he's saying when he says find your why they they try to do simon sinek impressions sometimes oh yeah let me tell you my my why right and it's just (laughs) uncomfortable yeah that's not natural it's not natural it's not so to, to kind of go back and kind of reverse back into the answer that i gave i think that it's all about communicating in a natural conversational way where people are actually interested in what you say because you're talking as we're talking right now. And someone says, hey, what do you do? So there are two things that I'll use as like a, what I would call a pattern interrupt in psychology. I don't, I didn't name that. It's a, it's a phrase in NLP. And um, the pattern is- Hold on, is, for the uninitiated, what's NLP? Yes. 
NLP is neuro linguistic programming, and it's mm. um, it's a very interesting. Uh, I would just say segment or modality in psychology that is um, where a lot of persuasive communication comes from. And um, it's the root of a lot of what I have learned in communication um, in general and how the mind works. It's basically how people process your language and how they create some type of representation of that in their minds. Um, so within that world of psychology, something called a pattern interrupt is where we are constantly living in patterns. I mean, the very nature of an elevator pitch and the what do you do question is a pattern, just like when someone says, how are you? I'm good. How are you? That's a pattern in our society that we are very, that we default to for better or for worse, um, instead of actually getting into a really deep conversation. So the pattern interrupt around the what do you do question um, has to be some type of transition where you don't jump into the pitch right away because that's what you're accustomed to doing. You say something like, well, here's what really pisses me off in business. Or, well, here's <laughs> what pains me that I just can't stand and here's what we're doing about it. So what I notice about everything you say is there's a every example you've given, there's like a transitional word. And I love that that you called it a pattern interrupt because that is such a that's such a good way to frame it. And it makes me understand it a little bit better because I, I, you know, we've all done the thing where someone passes you in a hallway and they, uh, you know, they say something like, you know, not, they don't say how you're do how you doing today. They say something like, good to see you. And you say, fine. Right. Because, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's just the pat you had the pattern expectation yeah. and there was like the social contract that I'm going to say so something true. to you. It's a social contract. We don't even know that we signed. That's right. And and I love the idea of a pattern interrupt because um, when I think about marketing communication, and I'm going through this right now with, with one of our companies. We, we do painting and concrete hmm. uh, coatings. We have a, a company here that does a lot of that, and we're working on a lot oh, of cool. our marketing. And um, one of the things that with every organization that we work with, you know, we're, we're talking about whether a Google ad campaign is effective. And then I'll get I'll get a comment like, you know, well, we really don't have an offer. If you had something mm. like a 30% off thing, and I'm like, is that really what's motivating people? Like, yeah. do, it is, or, or is it because they hate the way their concrete looks and they want us to make it pretty? Yeah, you know, it's like probably the latter. <laughs> it's probably the latter, right? And so does the 30% really get you to pick up the phone? Like, I don't know. It just feels like that's 1980s call now. The operators are standing by, you know, like hokey, fake things like that. I think, in today, communication that resonates with people comes off as more authentic and real. And if you don't come yeah. off as authentic as real, the best you can hope for is like a transactional kind of yeah. engagement. I, I agree with you. I think that um, I think that a lot of the times it is transactional in nature. But that is the question that I would throw back to. How do you answer the what do you do question, Jared? It's what is your intention? Is your intention to just like get them to be so interested in what you're doing and buy right away? Like, are you just trying to like get to a sale um, or get to some type of like great outcome for yourself? Or is your intention to actually have a conversation and connect with them and deepen the relationship from the beginning so that that just becomes the obvious choice if there is something you can solve for them? Yeah, I guess it just depends on whether it's a casual conversation, like a, the guy I bumped into at church that was a nice guy. Yeah. That honestly, like the only outcome I really wanted out of that exchange was that he didn't think I was some stiff, you know what I mean? Like, I was <laughs> yeah. some, like you know, Hey man, you know, easy to, you know, let's talk kind of thing rather than be, you know, 
when you ask somebody, what do you do? I'm a lawyer, right? Or dental, you know, I, I create, I, I work for a dental, you know, whatever, right? I mean, it's, it's so much, it's so much more fun to say, I don't know, but is it, it's sort of like it's hardwired in the brain to think that you're required to answer with a stat from your bio. Like, what do you do? I, my current title is vice, you know, it's just is CEO it, at right. It, is that really important? And I've also, by the way, entrepreneurship pet peeve here. I, um, when somebody has a very small company, I think you have to use the I'm the CEO spiel so sparingly because it, to me, I think there's a, um, you get, I don't know. It's like when people say, I'm the CEO of some little company. Like, who cares, frankly? Especially when your company is two people big, right? So you just you just crowned yourself. What, what really is important, so you will not see on any of my cards or any of, any of my bylines um, CEO, despite the fact that I'm essentially the CEO, but they're not super big businesses yet. Now, when we... The company that we that I started Proctor U that got to be really big and venture backed and all that other stuff like yeah of course you have a, a corporate title and and everything else but when you're in the startup thing when people ask you about your business especially if you're a one man band you know I I feel like it's so much more effective to just say hey I'm you know I, I have this I started this company called whatever and you know what we do we help people blah 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 and it's sort of I guess it's just a different sort of playoff of what you're saying but I've I've noticed that um, when you see people that are clearly have absolutely nothing going for their business, right? They're always big to call themselves. I am the president and CEO of some company that is about to go out of business and has never made a dollar, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think that I think that how we identify with the work that we do is all so different and personal to us. I think that it's motivated by different things. I think in, 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 in some instances, it's masking some type of insecurity. In some instances, you look at it, you look at your company as an extension of you, and therefore you identify in a more kind of personal way with it. Um, I really think that for everyone, it's a little bit different, but I get your point, And I think that that's a fair point to make. I mean, there's a difference between being like the CEO of Facebook and the CEO of a a one woman show or a one man show. Um, so I get your perspective on that, but I also think it's how we identify with the work that we do that leads to the titles we choose. So I think when you introduce yourself as CEO of this role, I think what you're, there's a, um, there's a competence that you're sort of it, it communicating by, by giving that title. Um, but I think there's, I, I, I can picture in my head the type of entrepreneur I'm talking about, and I don't know how to describe them, but it's these ones where they've started something and you find them more at, uh, you know, startup conferences than they are where their customers are. They're like handing out their business cards. They got the snarky t-shirt with the blazer yeah, on. Yeah, I understand you know, what you're talking about. It's a, it's, a, it's a trap that a lot of startup folks fall into particularly by the way particularly males right so it's like the startup bro yeah. culture is you know where you're running around we're crushing it yeah. you know and we're this well, I, that's... I agree I, I think there's a difference between like having a business and building a business I think there's a huge difference between that like anyone can have a side hustle or have some type of business but I think that the act of building it 
maybe changes what you're trying to, what you're, what you're backing into, what you're getting at. Yeah. I, I think, um, it's hard to, it's really hard. First of all, it's hard to get started. And so my hat's off, even if you do some of the schmucky things that I'm like picking at right here, like my hat's off to anybody that steps in the ring and tries to build a business. I think it makes the country better. I think it makes communities better. I think it makes lives better, creates opportunities for other people. Um, but it's hard to go from starting to, you know, growing to thriving to, I mean, all those things take constant, um, you know, constant, it's like a garden that you have to tend to and pull the weeds and water and stuff like that. But I think people get, um, one of the things that hampers people from getting started is the ability to communicate, uh, the way that you're talking about. I had a guy a week ago came and said, Hey, I've got this business idea. I want you to, I want you to tell me what you think. And he, he walks me through what is objectively a great, a great concept. And what I talk about all the time is it can't just be a good idea. You have to be positioned to execute on it. Right. I mean, you, you and I can just, you know what, we're going to, we're going to solve, we're going to, we're going to cure brain cancer. Well, are either one of us positioned to do that no it's a good idea but we're not positioned this guy had a good idea he had a good uh, element of positioning that he could that he could be the guy to do it but he struggled so much explaining what this thing did because he was a product guy and he was an operational guy and he felt like he had to tell you every button and everyone every knob and what every button and everything and i was like when he got done i was like brother you have to figure out in a couple of sentences, what does this do for people? And you have to start with that, right? Yeah, that's good advice. I I, I love what you said, um, like a few a few points ago on the uh, you have to be positioned to solve the problem that you actually are choosing to build a business around. I I, I read something a couple months ago, or somebody I forget if I read it or if somebody told me. I think it was probably my partner Max who told me about the concept of founder founder problem fit, like. There's product market fit, and then there's founder, founder problem, problem fit. fit. I've never like, heard that are before. You That's really the good. Founder that is positioned to solve that problem, and yeah. I loved that because I think that is so key. You have to be it, you know. Yeah, I mean, before we started Proctor U, which we had a lot of success with and, and grew and did a lot of great stuff for uh, uh, the industry, that the ed tech industry, it, the same two guys, me and Matthew J, who's been on the show a bunch of times. Uh, we started a real estate company that was essentially a Zillow, right? It was before there was a Zillow, right before Zillow came out. And when Zillow came out, the gig was over. But the the yeah. point <laughs> was we were not positioned at all to execute on what was objectively a good idea. Like the concept of a Zillow and a Trulia is a great idea, but we were not the dudes to do it, right? And then right after that, we get this quirky, what if we watch people take tests via a webcam and – that was a huge test because we, I was working at a university at the time. I had the contacts, I had the context. And I think that's, um, when I, when I'm, when people tell me they want to get into entrepreneurship, one of the things I always tell them is stop trying to find a product or, or, or build a business and go find a problem to solve. Right. And if you start with the problem, because the problem is if you start with a product then you're just going to you're going to be so incentivized to say well the thing that I've already sunk all this effort into has to be the solution right because if it isn't well, what am I going to do and and I think that's a 
if you start with a problem and you can communicate that problem and communicate the solution, you're going to be way ahead of what's second. I agree with you. And I really want to expand on that point because it's something that we talk a lot about in our trainings, especially in the world of like marketing and branding. Everyone's trying to like find the problem that they solve. And I think that without that, like you said, you're talking about the product. You're not talking to the person about a problem that they have. But one of the things that I find really interesting, and it's part of really where my passion is with Visceral, is most people, Jared, will like pick a problem out of a hat. Like there's this very intellectualized way of like mentally coming up with a problem that they can solve and then mentally, logically coming up with a strategy around that and how to build something around it. And I really, really believe that the founder problem fit actually comes from how you emotionally select the problem. And then like truly use what moves you, what pains you, what pisses you off. There's so many more emotions that I'll use as like an anchor for people to identify the problem that they solve. If you, if it, if it isn't coming from that place, you can't communicate it from a powerful place. You're communicating an idea. You're not communicating something that you stand for above anything else that people hear and they're like, mic drop. Like, that's so interesting. Tell me more. And that's the point. That's such a good way to think about it too. Yeah, because I, 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 when you say that, it reminds me of, when I, I try to think about the, the, the moments in my career where I was getting a project off the ground and like with the Proctor U thing, I don't think I was super passionate about the problem of keeping people from cheating on tests. I make that joke all the time. It's like the nerdiest thing. And like, who's that guy that's doing that? But I, I, I created this little thing just to solve a problem that I saw. But I think when I got angry was when I had lots of people in the education industry that were telling me that you can't do that. And, but they could never articulate why. They just were like, okay, you can't do that. And I said, well, why? why? What's the, what do you mean? Well, it's just better if you watch them in person. And I was like, well, what's happening when you watch someone take a test in person versus online? What's the difference? And they would go, well, it's just, you know, you could see what they're doing. I could see what they're doing. And then it got, it just, I got angry that they, people were taking what I thought was progress that opened up doors for people. Uh, and allowed them to do, you know, test anywhere and everything else. They were shutting that down simply because they just, they didn't have the motivation to really think through what correct was. Does that make sense? I mean, I, yeah, I, I find, and then, but so the anger didn't really come until like a step or two into the process. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times, um, I would say most of us start a business because we're angry about something or because we see something that isn't right. And we, we want to fix it and do something about it. But then once the business starts um, kind of getting off the ground running, all these other emotions like stress and overwhelm and how do we like make it, how do we monetize come into the picture? And that actually comes out in your communication. It, it affects the strength of your communication. And then later on, uh, a lot of the times I'll work with companies that are already established and they're firms that have been around for a long time or they're some startups, but for the most part, they're, they're companies that have been around for a while. And I have to reconnect them to the anger that they have and the anger that they had when they first started, um, as long as it's still relevant so that they can actually communicate in a strong way. So I've been hold I was holding this in my back pocket, but I really want to get your take on a story that you told in your TED talk, um, hmm. which was about, I think it touches on, we talked, we've talked a lot about emotion and communications yeah. and it touches on one of the most famous speeches of all time. Yes. And where the the line came from so martin luther king's i have a dream speech mm. um you talk about how i mean we're talking about what as, as i as i heard you talk about this i thought to myself 
is there a more impactful speech yeah. in the 20th century? And I really can't think of one, right? I, I honestly I, can't either. I think it's probably the greatest speech in, in a century of oratory oh, yeah. history, right? Agreed. And yet you talk about the fact that it, the, what made that so memorable, what made that one of the most famous speeches of all time was not even in the speech originally. So can you talk about that a little bit and tell me how did, how did that come about? Where did that line from that speech come from and how does it relate to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's uh, so I recently actually learned this about a year ago and it was, um, it was uh, when I first learned this story, I was like, I cried and it's because communication is, is everything to me. I think that everything that we do is shaped by the way people process what we say and the relationships we build and the businesses that we build and all of that. And so the story is um, around Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who most people do not know that, and I did not know that his entire, I have a dream section of his speech was improvised. It was never supposed to, it was never even supposed to happen. That's so wild. And it's actually, if you really wanna um, learn the the behind the scenes story, there's a book called Behind the Dream by Mm. Clarence Jones, who was one of his speech writers. And he tells the story that from his vantage point where he was standing that day and with with the backstory that he had and who he was to Martin Luther King, he saw it all happen. And so it is a brilliant book. I really loved hearing it from his perspective, but the story is this. Martin was, Dr. King was working on an I have a dream concept and he was obviously a preacher and he would, you know, give his sermons in church and he was working on, um, working on some type of speech that included an I have a dream statement. It was nowhere near what he had delivered that day, but it was an idea that he had. And he had a really close friend, Mahalia Jackson, who was a gospel singer that in the book that Clarence Jones writes, um, He talks about how she was like his confidant when he had moments of doubt and when he needed, you know, support, she was there for him. And they had a really beautiful friendship in that way. She was a singer. Of course, she was very poetic and connected to to song. And um, and anyway, so they had this beautiful friendship and um, there was a lot that went into even making the march happen that day. Like we don't even think about and I think we learned at some point in our American history classes that, you know, it was obviously a lot of effort. It wasn't, it was during a very shaky time and having a huge mob of people wasn't technically safe. And so they actually had to overcome like a lot of um, pushback from the government and the president to be able to have the march that day. So there was a lot of focus on that and not as much focus on his speech. And the night before he asked his speech writers to deliver to him what they were recommending he said that day. And um, Steve Jones gave him a speech and it didn't even have the I have a dream section in it. Oh my gosh. And the day of, he gives the speech. And if you go back and listen, Jared, if you watch the whole thing, you literally see him looking down at his script and you see him reading from what he had prepared. And he's he's Dr. Martin Luther King. Like people are cheering and going crazy and it's still so powerful because of, I think, who he was. And then this crazy moment happens about 12 minutes into the speech. The speech is 17 minutes long, 12 minutes in or about that time, um, right when it was about to end, Mahalia Jackson was sitting a couple feet in front of him and she yells up at him, tell them about the dream. And you literally, he puts it aside. He pushes the script to the side 
and he just goes off and he riffs and he like literally delivers one of the greatest speeches of all time. And it's remembered. It wasn't even called the I have a dream speech. The fact that it wasn't called the I have a dream speech, the fact that it was ad libbed and the fact what there's, I mean, what you're saying is such a powerful story because there's so many little lessons in there, right? So here's a guy who believes so much in his cause. He's about to give the most important speech of his life. And the night before, he's asking people, what should I say? So here's a person that knows and believes in his cause so much that he doesn't necessarily need a fully written out speech because he could do no, it from the it heart. No, because it comes so from the heart. And uh, when I learned this, it actually was, um, it was exactly the point I was trying to make, which is why I use this story. I don't think it just came from the heart. This was personal to him. This came from like an anger around mm. something that was unjust. And that yeah. anger got communicated with passion. And it was, it just, everything came to life after that. And it's, uh, I think it's really, really important to actually connect that dot. It wasn't just who he was. His speech, his ability to communicate so powerfully came from a very deep place. And I think that that has actually gotten lost in business. Don't we all need a person in our tribe sitting two rows ahead of us or whatever, right? like poking us to go do the thing, man. You know, like right? it's so. And it's really another interesting twist on that is like without her, would the speech have happened? How would we remember that march, right? I mean, w or would we? I mean, look, there were lots of marches going on, right? I mean, that Absolutely. one was the big one, right? But would we have remembered it like we do without that yeah. moment? I was in DC earlier this summer and there is a marker on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial where he said those words mm -hmm. and you can go and I took a, it's weird to take a selfie of the ground, right? But like, but I, I don't know if there's a marker there uh, yeah. if he doesn't, if he doesn't ad lib and say that. Yeah, so it's powerful to think about that. But I think if you can apply that, Jared, in today's world, when you have opportunities to get on a show or deliver a, a talk or give a speech or talk to your team in an internal meeting or sell to a prospect, like what happens if there isn't an anchor or a reminder of someone that reminds you what you should be delivering? I, I don't know. I'm checking the I'm checking the meat, by the way. We're going to have a meat, <laughs> okay. a meat check. OK, we got a ways to Looks go, pink. but. <laughs> it looks pink. Not done. They call that the salmonella <laughs> special if you eat that now. So what is the um, what's the takeaway from that? So you're the communicator, Talia, the great communicator, right? And you, you teach people through your business how to communicate. If you're talking about this story, what does that mean to me? Yeah, to you, it means that you got to go as deep as Dr. King and you have to sit with and think about and reflect on what is the thing that moves you? What is the thing that makes you so angry? That's so personal to you, a problem that you've experienced in your life. What's the problem at the core of what you're solving in your businesses? And what is that? Like, I know what it is for me. I help every single person that goes through our trainings understand what it is for them. And I think a huge shift is actually realizing that you know, like I said, we, we pick these problems out of a hat and we don't realize that what we're doing in business is an extension of us. And we have to identify like where that has come from in our own personal experiences in life, not just in business, but in our own personal life that makes us so fit and connected to the problem. And I have that answer for sure. I, I think that's so, 
That's so interesting. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a weird question, but communication is so central to this type, this, this sort of thing mm. that do you follow politics at all? I don't really like to follow mm. politics. I, well, I'll tell you what, I'm very like in the know of kind of what's going on, but I'm not that person that's like watching every debate or like reading every yeah. article. I think that that's really energy consuming. <laughs> it, well, for sure. And I've, uh, I, I've, spent a lot the last couple of years have just turned off like political stuff and, yeah man blood pressure you know right but <laughs> I, I will say that I, i've always been fascinated not so much by the politics like yeah i follow politics and i have an opinion but I, I also get really interested in sort of like the sport of politics and sure. how people communicate and how people pick certain messaging and pick certain positioning and Mm-hmm. You know, the iconography and their logos and the positioning yeah. and the view, the way, the way things look when they're standing, you know, guys standing on a tractor and whatever. What what message <laughs> yeah. is he trying to convey and who's he trying to connect with? And I think um, to your point, you know, if you think about politics, the most mm-hmm. effective accom- uh, politicians are able to tap into emotion. And it's certainly what Trump did. It's certainly what Obama did back in the day, tapping into hope and everything else. And I watched um, I watched the Republican debates a couple of weeks ago, and I won't get into any of people's positions or whatever, but I saw a whole bunch of people that were just super robotic and super mm, – yeah. um, so the the standard sort of way of being like, you know, particularly like establishment politicians on yeah, the other side like of the aisle – it's just like, you know, talking yep. point, talking point. Someone says, you know, hot button issue totally. and you go party line. Right. And you say totally. something cute and then you go, you know, yeehaw or whatever. Yep. You try to be the ones that throw. So the, the Vivek Ramaswamy is a guy. And if it didn't matter what you think about his politics, mm-hmm. that guy is, was absolutely a 0.0 in the like collective understanding of anybody mm-hmm. knowing who he was. But he is he uses things like what you talked about, pattern interruptions, right? So mm. everybody else is giving an answer, burp, 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 and he'll kind of go, well, you know, and, and next mm. thing you know, people are like, I really like, then nobody knows what that guy really stands yeah. for yet. It's too yeah. early. But everybody's talking about him because he's communicating in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I look at that all the time in business. I look at that all the time in business where I see, I go to lots of events or I uh, speak at some events and I just watch the interactions happening between people. And it's like talking head. (laughs) It's very robotic and not always, but I would say most of the time. And um, that's something that I'm actually on a real big mission to change because I think that it's a, it's a crying shame for how much, for how much effort and love and energy we put into our businesses, especially if you're somebody who leads with service and is really there for like the win-win-win versus just for your own selfish intent. But I think it's in politics. I think it's in, I mean, let's think about this for a second. It's so much in politics are, I mean, again, I think that there's no good or bad and and I'm not trying to like give a strong opinion, but the thing that does bother me a lot is like, there are very few presidents that will address a nation without reading from a teleprompter. Like, I think that there's, that's something that, uh, that's really sad to me because I think that it should just come from inside. It should be like the MLK moments. It should be like talking to the soul of a company uh, or a soul of a country. And it shouldn't be something that you have to read or at least read without emotion. Well, I mean, most, if you go back, you know, the history of the country, most of presidents' best moments are either ad-libbed moments 
um, or or super emotional moments. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. You know, ask not what you can do for your yeah. country. Or, you know, what? I'm sorry, I'm butchering that. Ask what you, not for yourself, what you should do for your country. Thank you. Um, but think about like George W. Bush, who was absolutely yeah. mocked his entire presidency about his sort of yeehaw, I'm reading from a script and it doesn't feel right. But buddy, when that guy got on, when he was in moments where he was allowed to ad lib or whatever, he was phenomenal mm-hmm. and people loved it. Think about yeah. the time when he's standing with the firefighters in 9-11 and he's ad libbing. That guy, everybody Absolutely. would have done anything for that guy because he was passionate and spoke to a moment where everybody was looking to a leader. And then you yeah. put him in front of a teleprompter and people are just booing and hissing at him because he's just it's not who he is no and so if we're so we can so clearly see that in politics jared why the heck don't we acknowledge that in business (laughs) it's a great question i i think if you if you ask someone who's in business what you know who they admire who's a great communicator who they like to follow almost all of those people that they would name when they speak are loose and have personality and sort of have a perspective and yet everyone's afraid to be that, right? Yeah, but I also think that they just don't know how because I mm. think that there's so much direction out there of like, oh, you know, you should talk like this, you should do that, or you should use emotion here, you should say that you should use anger. Like the direction is not the point. Everything that we do with our training is, is to give you freaking clarity. It's like you have to understand the psychology of how people process you to then change your approach. And I think people need way more clarity than direction as, as, as a starting point. And I also think that there's um, like specifically, Jared, we do, we only focus on like verbal communication. I'm not writing copy. I mean, I try help when that's something that, you know, would benefit a client, but we're not like, we're not like a branding agency where we're writing all of your copy. We're literally only helping you with your verbal communication and presentation skills, because that is the skill that you'll always need. AI cannot replace unless you're truly going to use it to like be you, which again is questionable in terms of how effective it can be emotionally. Um, I don't also want a world where that happens, but buddy, I got a ca- I got a, a episode, two episodes that you should go check out. Two episodes ago, that was uh, just. Uh, almost doomsday about generative AI and what it can do. Yeah, and so that's crazy. I sort of tend to think of the world the way you do, which is I think that um, I don't, we're never going to be in a place where we can have something replace, have emotion and have a soul and have a, well, it certainly you know, can't replace you in real life. Like right. I, and we can live and work remotely forever, but yeah, I don't know. I think that when yeah. you get on Zoom, it's going to be clear whether you're talking to like Talia or you're talking to like Talia's robot. <laughs> I hope so, right? For sure. I hope so too. So if you've got someone who is, um, let's say, an introvert, this is, mm. a, this is a question I really want. Do you, do you, when you talk to people, do you sort of try to figure out whether someone's an introvert or an extrovert before you start giving it's them pointers? It's pretty clear from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's pretty clear. Like you can tell an extrovert from an introvert, but um, it's not the same approach. I think that um, at the core of what we're teaching people, it's it's actually how to connect to what's natural for you. Like here's what's unnatural. What is an introvert's approach? Uh, an introvert's ap- approach most often is not communicating. Like they're not saying anything about themselves. They're just listening and then they're, you know, like the fly on the wall in somebody else's conversation. I think it takes a lot for an introvert to actually like 
open up a conversation of their own and actually lead it or talk about themselves. So I think in many ways that's a problem for them because they think they have to be an extrovert and that's not true. Right. You just have to do what's more natural to you. So an extra, an introvert is probably more likely to be a good listener is what I'm sort of hearing you say. Well, they're probably likely to be a more good, uh, like a good listener. And I think that, um, also a contributor to an existing conversation if they have the courage and develop the courage to contribute because they feel connected to what they're all about and the problem that they're solving. Again, I think it connects like the core of it is the same. You can be an extrovert or an introvert, but um, without the connection to like why you and no one else and what are you doing and why are you doing it? Um, I don't think that you can break through whatever your limitations are. But I would say introverts are most likely contributing to an existing conversation. Do you think there's such thing as an an ambivert? Because I've I've heard people say that, and I have a I have a theory, but I want to I want to hear. I've not heard that on. term actually. So so it's an ambivert is somebody who is sort of like a uh, an introvert that is able to flex and be extroverted when it is necessary, and I think that that. Um, is a bunch of hooey, frankly. I think it's, mm. I think you're either an extrovert or you're an introvert. And that really, at least in my sort of like life experience, when I've, I've dealt with people and I'm trying to like figure out what makes them tick, it's an energy thing mm. as much as it is a communication thing. And I think yeah. just because you're an introvert does not mean you can't communicate well. It just means you don't draw energy from crowds of people in constant yeah. communication, right? I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that um, it's energy in a different way. Like extroverts are loud in their energy. Like they're a very like obvious, you know, right. I just walked through a room type of energy. And introverts are more subtle. But I once read a book, I think it was by Stuart Wilde, and it's called Silent Power. And it's a, a very interesting concept that I think a lot about for introverts, where it's this, the way you carry silence or the way that you the energy you project when you're being quiet, that is actually really powerful. All right. So I have a, I have a question I want to ask you, which is a new thing we're trying on the show. And so you're going to be my first person sure. that's going to do this, but I know a little bit about your story from, from your bio and everything else. Cool. So what is, if the one thing you would tell yourself as a piece of advice, if you could go back in time and talk mm -hmm. to your younger self? Hmm. That's a really great question. There was a lot going on in my younger self's life. Um, the one piece of advice that I would give would have been to take all the pain that I was going through at the time and use it as a catalyst for something way earlier in my life. Like literally use it and recognize that there's, um, there's so much you can do with it. It's what makes, I think it's what makes me today extremely emotive when I talk. But um, I probably just want to remind that younger version of myself that like it was going to become something really freaking cool one day. <laughs> to know that the pain was going to move towards something productive or? Yeah, or that the pain was going to be the inception of me wanting to create a business, uh, multiple it would have been the inception of like, oh, this is something I can go do something about and act on versus just like act out. Look how, and look how powerful you are today, right? I mean, you've got all this Yeah, well, I think and... everyone goes through their own version of that, right? But I don't think that in the moment, in your younger self moment, you always um, 
you connect what it can where, where your life's going to go later on and i think if you knew that it was going to end up a little bit better if you made different decisions um i don't think that we'd suffer as much i think a lot of people go through that i don't think everybody reacts to it the way that you do right i mean i think no. that, um, yeah you can you can choose whether something like that either defines you and makes you a stronger person um yeah and it can be the reason you know that you are succeeding or it can be the excuse you tell yourself as to why you'll never yeah, be the person sure. you want to be yeah for sure um that's probably what i would have told myself um just given the context of what was going on in our life at that time and our family um it would probably just have been like hang in there it's going to become some great piece of art later <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, Talia, if people have, uh, I'm sure they've enjoyed this conversation. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, work with you at Visceral, how would they get in, in touch with you? Yeah. You know what? Right now I'm really focused on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's an amazing platform to just like build relationships with people. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Talia Jacqueline. And if you want to uh, reach out on visceralco.com, it's V-I-S-C-E-R-A-L-Co.com. And that's where you can learn a little bit more about our mission and what we have to change in the business world. But I really like connecting with people on LinkedIn right now. It's been a, a breath of fresh air. Well, it, you know, it's, I love LinkedIn too. It's one, it's the, to me, it's the only social network that survived that had a niche, right? Yes, it was like, if you go back to the mid two thousands, like there was the social network for dog walkers. Mm. There was a, and <laughs> basically Facebook groups eliminated all of that except for LinkedIn because it was such a, it's so career focused. And I think, um, yeah, I, th it's really evolved into something that I think is useful. I, I don't think, oh, I, I didn't it. think LinkedIn was very useful eight or nine years ago. If you're interacting just... and engaging with people on LinkedIn, it is like yeah. in a meaningful way versus like dropping your sales pitch into my inbox every day. <laughs> like that's what I don't love about it, but it's also yeah. fun to like kindly, you know, set boundaries. But, um, I think that yeah, it's a really awesome place to just like have meaningful relationships with strangers. Cool. So everybody look up Talia Jacqueline. Uh, go find out what Visceral is all about, visceralco.com. Um, Talia, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I'd Thank love you to have you back me. as we talk about communication. But we need one more check on the yeah, let's pork on belly this. burnt ends. I need <laughs> you to tell all your friends in Texas. Oh, I sure will, except what you're in old, Alabama, so this is just a teaser. <laughs> this old Alabama guy is doing down here, trying to talk That's business. Awesome. So thank you so much for being here. Guys, if you yeah, found something you. valuable in this conversation, which I'm sure you did, go tell all your internet friends. Go like us on Facebook, on YouTube. We're on TikTok. Um, I think we're everywhere. We might be on Friendster still. I don't know. <laughs> but go find awesome. us uh, and like and subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see you next time. Slow Smoke Business Podcast. Mm -hmm.